Hello and welcome to the Top Story, the podcast with headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Tian Yu. Coming up in this edition, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is meeting high-level officials in Washington to discuss China-U.S. relations. The Israeli military says it has conducted a limited ground offensive into Gaza. And an extensive manhunt is underway in the U.S. following a mass shooting in Maine that killed 18 people. We start with the latest high-level meetings between China and the U.S. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is in Washington for face-to-face meetings with high-level members of President Joe Biden's cabinet. His trip follows previous visits of senior U.S. officials to China, which observers suggest signals positive changes in the bilateral relationship. For more on China-U.S. ties, Gao Yingxu spoke to Joseph Nye, former dean of Harvard Kennedy School of Government. Well, since the multi-level communication have resumed since the end of the pandemic, but signs of bilateral ties improving remains rare. So how do you evaluate this current U.S.-China relation? Well, I think that, uh, unfortunately, during the COVID period, uh, there has been inadequate communications back and forth between the two countries. It appears that that's beginning to change. We've had the visits to uh, China of important American cabinet officials. There's talk that uh, uh, President Biden and President Xi will meet at APEC. So I think things are improving uh, on that question of communications. Um, And I I think uh, I welcome that and hope we'll see more of it. And along with the high-level official exchanges, the Chinese government is pushing for cultural and people-to-people exchanges between the two sides. And in your observation, where does the United States place those kind of exchanges between the two countries? Well, I think these uh, levels of uh, communication uh, should be at all levels. In other words, uh, we obviously have focus on the top level of the presidents or the cabinet officials. But I think the levels of um, uh, cultural and scientific exchanges are also important. In other words, if we're going to build a sense of trust and cooperation and use our soft power, these uh, uh, contacts uh, at the lower levels are also critically important. Right. And what expectations and recommendations do you have for the prospects of China-U.S. relations? Well, I tend to be uh, what I call a short-term pessimist and a long-term optimist. The U.S. and China do not pose existential threats to each other. And I think that uh, in the long run, uh, we're going to have uh, better relations. But in the short run, there are still differences that have to be worked out, and I can see things uh, becoming more difficult rather than uh, solved in the short run. So that's why I call myself a short-run pessimist and a long-run optimist. You had previously proposed uh, the concept of smart power. At what strengths do you think like, uh, China and United States each have in terms of smart power? Well, smart power is the ability to combine hard power of economic and military coercion with the ability to attract others. And uh, obviously, smart power becomes very important uh, to countries. China has, on the soft power side, 
the not only its important economic performance, um, but uh, also uh, it, its cultural attraction uh, in traditional culture. The U.S. Uh, government often does things which are unpopular, but nonetheless its civil society remains attractive to others because it's relatively free. So I would argue that more of American uh, soft power comes from our universities, our nonprofit organizations, uh, foundations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, than from the Voice of America. That was Joseph Nye, former dean of Harvard Kennedy School of Government. The Great War Climate Dialogue has wrapped up in Beijing with calls for more cooperation between China and the United States to combat the effects of climate change. The meeting brought together China's Minister of Ecology and Environment and some provincial leaders with California Governor Gavin Newsom. Dong Xie has details. California's Governor Gavin Newsom called for stronger climate collaboration between Beijing and Washington. China and the United States represent anywhere from 41 to 44 percent of the world's emissions. We're never going to address the issue of climate change uh, on this planet unless the United States and China work more collaboratively together. At the Great Wall Climate Dialogue, he put that message to China's Minister of Ecology and Environment, Huang Renqiu, and provincial leaders. Minister Huang Renqiu echoed the need for stronger collaboration. Huang again reiterated Beijing's aim of reaching its carbon emissions peak in 2030 and carbon neutrality in 2060, adding that climate cooperation is a vital component of China's relationship with the United States. China and the U.S. started cooperation on environment and climate in the 1980s, and it's an important part of the relations. The two heads of state issued three joint statements on climate change, making historic contributions to the implementation of the Paris Agreement. Newsom highlighted that California is on the front lines of climate change, saying the hots are getting a lot hotter. He said the state also experienced record-breaking floods this year, and that's why he sees a great sense of urgency not just to identify problems, but to put concrete changes into action. Chinese President Xi Jinping told Gavin Newsom that he sees potential for collaboration with the U.S. on green development, adding that it is possible for the two countries to strengthen cooperation in areas like green development as well as climate change and to make it a new height in the development of China-U.S. relations. Echoing the positive tone, the governor of California suggested climate cooperation is one way to help improve bilateral ties. That was Dong Xie on California Governor Gavin Newsom's meeting with the Chinese Environment Minister in Beijing. Turning to the Middle East, the Israeli military says it has conducted a limited ground offensive into Gaza, the targeted raid it's seen as the biggest ground attack since the latest conflict with Hamas began. The Palestinian Health Ministry has reported over 7,000 deaths so far. Israel says over 1,400 have been killed on their side. Meanwhile, Russian media have cited the foreign ministry as saying that a Hamas delegation visited Moscow on Thursday for talks on the release of foreign hostages, including Russian citizens. Concerns are mounting that a wider conflict is on the horizon amid a large military buildup on the Israeli border with Lebanon. Sarah Coates reports from Tel Aviv. The IDF does say that it conducted what it's calling a relatively large incursion 
into the northern part of the Gaza Strip, saying that these troops are now back on the Israeli side of the Gaza border. Now, the military spokesperson for the IDF, he's come out to say that we eliminated terrorists, neutralised threats, dismantled explosives and neutralised ambushes in order to enable the next stage of the war for ground forces. Now, this came after the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, addressed the nation overnight, saying that this operation will happen, calling Hamas operatives dead men walking. Now, Benny Gantz, who is uh, the opposition leader and one of the members of this war cabinet, he has said that stability and safety, security may not be restored in these southern communities for at least a few years. He has issued a warning at the group operating in Lebanon, Hezbollah, saying uh, do not open an additional front in the north. The IDF is a strong shield on the entire northern border, adding that Hezbollah is being hit hard. This is how it will continue. It will be smart for our enemies to back off. Reports coming in that Israel has been uh, pressured by the United States as the US tries to bring in more aerial defence systems amid real fears of a wider spillover in the region. And uh, with this massive build-up that's being seen there on the Gaza border, it uh, certainly seems like it must happen soon. But like people here, let me tell you, they are pretty worried, they are pretty frightened given the chance that Hezbollah and other Iranian proxies uh, could get involved. That was Sarah Coase in Tel Aviv. The United Nations agency that supports Palestinian refugees says at least one million people have fled their homes in Gaza in just one week following an Israeli order for people to evacuate from northern Gaza to the south. But hundreds of thousands of Palestinian families have defied the order and chosen to stay. Noor Harazin has more. Fuad Ayad is a Palestinian Christian from Gaza. His home was destroyed by Israeli airstrikes on the southern Arimal neighborhood, forcing him to evacuate to his church, St. Pervilius in central Gaza City. The church has also come under attack, and it's located in an area under Israeli evacuation orders, but Ayad refuses to flee south. There are no safe places, whether mosques, churches or hospitals. Wherever you go or look, you find destruction. My family and I were not displaced because I didn't find a safe place to go. Last night was a dark night. Me and my family didn't sleep. I'm afraid for my daughter, not myself. I want a safe place for my daughter and my wife. The Ashifa hospital complex has become a refugee camp for thousands of Palestinian families. They have brought mattresses, blankets and pillows, taking shelter in what they believe is the safest place in Gaza. Rahim Daher uses his car as a storage and a kitchen for the supplies he managed to take with him when evacuating. Daher and his 20 family members have taken shelter in the street, oppose the Ashifa hospital. We've turned into beggars. We are running after the water truck to fill up on water to drink. This is not life. Where will we go in the south? We have no relatives there, so we prefer to stay here so we can find people to help us if we need to borrow money to buy food. Everyone in the south is no better off than us anyway. The Gaza Strip is home to 2.3 million people, living in an area covering 365 square kilometers. The scale of the Israeli strikes on Gaza has made it unsafe to live in, no matter where people flee to. That was Noor Harazin reporting from Gaza.
Finally, in North America, an extensive manhunt is underway in the U.S. following a mass shooting in Maine that killed 18 people. Local police have ordered residents of Lewiston to stay indoors. The suspect, identified as 40-year-old U.S. Army reservist Robert Card, remains at large and is considered armed and dangerous. Yilou Abdafid has more. Early evening in Lewiston, and people are trying to escape from locations near where two shootings have been reported. A lone gunman attacked a restaurant and a bowling alley, and in all too familiar scenes, police cars and ambulances rush to help victims. Police guard a local hospital as an intensive manhunt was launched, with hundreds of officers searching an area in the northeast of the United States. State and local police released a photograph of 40-year-old Robert Card, saying he was considered dangerous. He is a certified arms instructor and a member of the U.S. Army Reserves. People were warned not to approach him. Outside the main hospital in the area, relatives have been waiting anxiously for any news. President Biden has been briefed, and the federal government has promised whatever support is needed. For now, a shelter-in-place order has been issued for residents in Lewiston and the nearby town of Lisbon. A small city of 38,000 people in Maine has been added to a long list of places in the United States to have suffered from a mass shooting. That was Ilo Abdafid reporting. Recapping today's headlines. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is meeting high-level officials in Washington to discuss China-U.S. relations. The Israeli military says it has conducted a limited ground offensive into Gaza, and an extensive manhunt is underway in the U.S. following a mass shooting in Maine that killed 18 people. And that's it for this edition of the Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports, and culture, you can subscribe to the Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tian Yu. Thank you for listening.